Well, welcome again, and you can find your seats as we uh, dive into Second uh, Peter. Um, we are gonna we're doing a series over the next several weeks in the book of Second Peter, and then we're gonna start Deuteronomy this summer. And so you can be reading through that, preparing your hearts, kind of know where we're going uh, as we work through this. And as we talked last week, Second uh, Peter is a book that um, kind of talks about the knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about this in previous, the last week, but, you know, whenever you read in Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ, whatever it is, the Savior, it's always a loaded term, right? Jesus' name means Yahweh who saves. Christ means Messiah, which is the Old Testament Savior that was promised all the way back from Genesis. And so anytime you read that in Scripture, it's easy for us to kind of think first name, last name like us. Like his first name was Jesus. His second name was, you know, Christ. Like, you know, his heavenly father's last name. It must have been Joseph Christ and Mary Christ. That's not what it is, okay? Um, it means what it means. It means he is the culmination of all of Scripture. And Peter's trying in his letter to make sure that the people he is writing to knows this because there's a lot of false teaching going along. There's a lot of people who are saying, no, he's not everything. He's not what it's all about. And Peter's writing his second letter. He's writing this letter to the churches to say, no, it really is all about him. It's all about the knowledge of him. And everything in the Old Testament points to him. Everything that's been written by Paul, by me, that's going to be written is all about him, period. That's the whole human history set up that way. And so Peter's saying that's the issue. And like we talked about last week, the thing we've got to deal with is what do we want the knowledge of? Because see, whatever we think the knowledge of that we get will give us happiness, joy, and all those things, that's what we're going to pursue. We can say we believe all kinds of things. Well, I believe that and I believe that. But when it really comes down to like brass tacks, what does your calendar and your checkbook say you believe? I mean, really, what does your calendar and your checkbook say you really believe about the knowledge that you need in life, right? And that's, that's just simple. And God, when you look at the Old Testament, they're like over 600 laws, almost 700 laws that God has laid out in the Old Testament. And those were there as a test. Those were there to say, do you believe my calendar? Do you believe my time? Do you believe my financial way of doing things? Do you believe how you're supposed to treat people? Because if you truly know me, this is how you'll desire to do it. And when you fail, you'll say you failed and you'll want to do it my way because you understand the grace and mercy that I've given to you. That, that's the theme of scripture in a nutshell. And that's the knowledge that Jesus came from heaven to earth to make sure we understood. And Peter's writing to say, I need you to be sure you understand this. Now this week, last week we talked about privileges and promises. Talked about last week, privileges and promises. Because, and we'll read that in a minute in 1 Peter where he said that we have these privileges because of our relationship with Christ and these precious promises. And I said this last week, but what's amazing to me and as I talked to people this week about what I preached on and asked their opinion and I also taught another message this week somewhere else... I always ask the question of why don't we claim the hard promises, right? And I said this last week, but it's like we love to put the promises on our bathroom wall that are like these precious, beautiful, like the Lord will rescue us. But I've never gone into the bathroom and seen you will die today, right? Like pick up your cross, welcome to the toilet. Like that's not, we don't like to put those scriptures up because they speak directly to our heart. And Peter's writing this letter saying, I know that you guys are dying, 
Remember who Peter's writing to. Peter is writing to people. Are you ready for this? Who are being murdered for their faith. Their families being drugged before authorities. And fathers being separated from their families. And people looking at this father's sons, daughters, and wives. And looking at the father and say, if you'll just bow a knee to Nero. If you'll just bow a knee and say that Jesus isn't the Christ, he's not everything, then we'll not kill your wife and children. And there are men who are saying, I can't say that. And they're watching their wife and their children's their children be murdered. That's who Peter's writing to. This is no small thing. We talk about persecution, and we don't really deal with persecution in the United States. We don't. We deal with discomfort. <laughs> we do. You want to see persecution, go to places in the world where if you proclaim Christ, your own family will kill you. Because that's a lot of the world. Here we just deal with discomfort. We're going to lose opportunities. It's not going to, we're not going to be as rich or as wealthy, or maybe it won't go as well for us. But these people that Peter is he's writing to are facing watching their children be impaled on sticks, put oil on them, and set on fire to light Nero's roadways. And it'd be easy in that moment as a father or a mother or as a child, sometimes they separate the children. And if you'll just bow a knee so that your mom and dad can be saved. And in that moment, it'd be easy to say, oh, well, Jesus will forgive me. I'll have grace. I'll just bow a knee. It'll be okay. It's no big deal. And isn't that what we do so often with our own sin? De not, we deny our time. We deny our, our resources. We deny from God because we claim grace. Well, God's going to forgive me so I can bow a knee. It's no big deal. And Peter's trying to say, that is not the knowledge of what Jesus did. What Jesus did is he was unwilling to bow a knee knowing his followers, his, his sons and daughters that he raised up were going to be crucified. Knowing that his followers were going to be persecuted, knowing he was going to die, he was unwilling to say he was not the son of God and that his father was not the father of the entire universe. He was unwilling, which is why we find him next week on the cross. Good Friday, the Passover lamb. So last week we talked about these privileges that we have to give our life. And so when Peter's saying you have a precious privilege to give your life, they got that a lot deeper than we did. And when he said you have these precious promises to be able to surrender your life and to die to yourself, they understood that a lot deeper than we do. And this week, it's this. The knowledge of prophetic word strongly confirmed. You know, we have a lot of people that are running around saying they have a word from God. Right? Every false religion, every religion around the world says, I have a word from God. That's how it always starts. I have a special revelation, a special word, a prophetic word, a vision. And then the question is, is that confirmed? But see, we're not taught that anymore in our day. What we're taught is if someone has an experience, if someone tells you that they have a word from God and a good story to back it up, it must be true. It must be true. If they had a word and a great story to back it up, maybe a miracle, maybe some circumstance, well, it must be true. It's obvious God wanted that to happen. 
We don't know how to strongly confirm what really is the knowledge about our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ and what isn't. And the reason is because we don't do math. We don't like math. Let's be honest for a moment. There are a few of you in this room who love math. How many of you really love math? Good. That's a few, okay? It's not even half the room. That may have been a quarter of the room. The rest of us have been taught to hate it. We've been taught to love feeling. See, the reason we don't like math is I don't like to go to the bank and say, I want to buy a car, and they look at me and say, the math doesn't work. And I go, can you make the math work? And they say, oh, yes, at a great price to you. As a benefit to you, we can make the math work at a certain interest rate where the math will work to our benefit on your behalf. It's called interest. You see, math doesn't lie. We have 24 hours in a day. You can't say, I didn't have time today. No, you didn't make time. You didn't do it. I didn't have time. What? Oh, so God only gave you 21 hours today. Wow, that's amazing. I, I got 24. I don't know what, did the sun stop? I mean, what? I got so much more done today than I've gotten done in a week. Wow, so you got 28 hours today? God like showed up and extended. You see, we, math doesn't allow us to like box God in. And that's why it's, we like to ignore it. We like to make excuses. I'm the same way versus just owning it. And what Peter is writing, if we read through his letter, he says this. I'm going to read back through these scriptures quickly. He said, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours, to the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, we can't make ourselves right. It's through his righteousness. He makes us right. And then it says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge, there it is, the knowledge of God and of our Lord, or of Jesus our Lord. He repeats himself again. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. He can, we have everything we need to do the math right. We have everything we need. And when we get the math wrong, guess what? We have everything we need to say, I was wrong. I did the problem wrong. I got a big red X. And we can go back and correct it. And we can be forgiven and start over. It's beautiful. And he goes, that's what you have. And he goes, why? Through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's all about him. It's for his glory, his goodness. That's what this is all about. And it's about divine power. And we talked about last week, we don't like divine power. We want divine authority. And, and false prophets, this idea of a prophetic word typically comes with them saying that I've been given a divine power and I have divine authority to tell you what to do. It's a subtle twist. It's a twisting that says I have the authority to demand from you. Versus saying, no, God has the authority to demand. I can't make you. This is just what he says. And you need to make a response based on what's true. And I can back it up because let me show you the rest of Scripture. Let me show you the math God's given us. Let me show you the words he's given us. He lays it out for us. I mean, even our words are math. How many letters are there in the English language? 26. How do you know there are 26? Because you've done the math. You were taught math. There are 26. You don't make up your own letter and shove it in and be like, look. It's like, you can't do that. That doesn't work in the math. We can't communicate. It's not going to, exactly. And we accept it. We accept that math because we can't even get along if we don't accept 26 letters. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. 
And then he goes on, he says, by these, in other words, the divine power, by the, the mercy of God, by all these things, he has given us very great and precious promises. Again, hard promises too. Great promises to know that we live in a world that's suffering, but we can have hope. So that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And we talked about the process of that, right? That you start with the idea of we got to figure out what's good, which goes back to the word of God to say, God, what do you say is good? Then we have to get more knowledge of what's good, and that leads to self-control and endurance. And in the end, the test is, do I actually, with God's knowledge, actually love people? And can I tell you that that's one of the sure signs of a false prophet. One of the sure signs of a false prophet is he tells you to love yourself. He doesn't tell you to die for others. And you will see him love himself and love his family over everyone else. You will see him elevate himself and his status, not humble himself and become nothing for others. That is the sure sign that you can say that's not strongly confirmed. Because that's, you want to know why I know that? The knowledge about Jesus teaches me that people with divine power and divine authority lay down their lives for others that don't deserve it. It's called the gospel. It was modeled to me through scripture, through the Old Testament, in the person of Jesus. It's, it's a perfect picture. And he lays this down and he says, for they, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they will keep you from being useless, unfruitful. In what? In the knowledge, there it is again, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted, and he has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Now, this is where we get ready to transition in just a moment into today's message, because here's the key. Here's the problem. Here's why Easter is like a big thing, and people get excited about it. It's because they think they can just come, and then they can be reminded that they're forgiven and then not have to do anything. I can just come in, hear about Jesus, I'm forgiven, and go on with their life. That is not the gospel. The gospel is we surrender our lives to him. We order our lives according to what he wants, his calendar, his money. It's all his. What do you want me to do with it? And in this, he says, look at this, cleansing from past sins. We are getting ready to go into Passover. The cleansing of past sins. You put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost in the book of Exodus, and God cleansed. He passed over their sins so that he could bring them out of slavery. That's when Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was the Passover lamb. As the lambs were being slaughtered in the temple for the sins of the nation to be remembered that they needed to be forgiven, our Lord was the ultimate Passover lamb on the cross at the exact moment. That all that was happening. And when the sacrifices ended, here comes Christ. See, that's the beautiful picture of our Lord. Then he says, therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Remember what God's done for you, how he called to you how he called to Abraham, how he called to David and Moses. Remember how he called you and then said, I want you to be sons of daughters. I want you to be co-heirs. I'm going to let you be one of mine. 
Don't forget that. And then he says, therefore, brothers, and then he says, for this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly supplied to you. He goes, if you remember this, you're never going to doubt where you're going. You're going to know with full confidence that, that it's not about you, that he has forgiven you, and it will change your life. It will make you go back to that list and do those things, not because you're trying to earn something, but because you remember who you used to be. You remember what you used to do. You remember that, and it changes you now to say, I never want to go back to that. I want to live in his word for my life. I want to live strongly confirmed that he has called me, that he loves me, that he gives me eternal life. I don't have to earn it. I'm going to live by Jesus' word to me, strongly confirmed by his death and resurrection, and I'm not going to doubt it. That's the beauty of what Peter's writing to them in the midst of them being killed. He said, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Always. I'm going to keep telling you about Jesus. Sorry. I got nothing else. <laughs> there, there's no other way by which man can be saved. That's all I got. And he goes on and he says, even though you know them and are established in the truth you have. In other words, you're going to go, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. When our response should be, wow, I'm glad I know that. So many people go to church and it's, yeah, I know that. Oh, it's boring. It's, versus going to church with a heart of worship and just be like, Man, I'm glad I know this. Man, I hope some, there's somebody here who doesn't. I hope they get it today. Oh, see, it's a different heart. One heart, you ready for this, is ripe for the false prophet. Because the way false prophets get in is they exploit what you don't think you have. And when you come to church looking to get because you don't believe you already have, and you look to come to church so that you can go to God and know that you have forgiveness and you can confess and you can go before him and receive that, that you are ripe and open for a false prophet to come in and promise you something and tell you something and go to the ear tickling of, of where it goes that it's going to make you feel better. And, oh, I like this and I like that. And now all of a sudden, who's in control? You are. He's laying this out and he says, look, I consider it right as long as I'm in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder, knowing that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has also shown me. I'm going to die too. I know you're dying. I'm going to die too. And I will also make every effort that you may be able to recall those things at any time after my departure. That's why he's writing this down. I'm making every effort so you can remember these things. And then he says, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths. We didn't go by story. Some, who's got the best story? That's not what we're going by here. Because let me tell you, the story that God gives of his people and what it means to be one of his is not a good story. Have you read it? Have you read God disciplines his children. He put them in slavery multiple times for stupidity. Like, are you... The story's not, if you're going to pick a family, this is not the one you want because it's messed up. It really is. You want to pick a family where they tell you it's perfect. Everything looks great on the outside. Jesus told those people that look that way, you guys are whitewashed tombs. Looks great on the outside, but there's all kinds of death inside. I'd rather you look dead on the outside so I can bring life inside. And that's what our Savior did. He looked dead on the outside and he came back to life to bring life into the body to say, this is the way it's going to work. See, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. He said, we didn't follow these myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. Instead, we were eyewitnesses. 
He's like, this isn't some vision I had on a mountain by myself. We watched this happen. We heard it happen. And even that, we've got the eyewitnesses of the entire Old Testament, which Peter's going to talk about in chapter 2. We'll deal with that next week. And he lays out the Old Testament. He's like, all these people. And then he goes on. He says, for when he received glory and honor, or honor and glory from God the Father, that's Jesus, when he received it, a voice came to him from the majestic glory. This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. That was at Jesus' baptism. You know what this means? It means Peter was at Jesus' baptism. He had not called the disciples yet. Most people don't know that. Most people think that Jesus like walked up to strangers and was like, follow me. And they were like, okay. I'm in. I don't know who you are. I'm going to leave my boats. I'm going to leave my nets. And I'm coming after you because you look like you glow and you have blue eyes and white skin, which is so unusual in our culture. Like, you have the best robe around. Like, I must follow you. Jesus grew up with Peter. They grew up together. They went to synagogue together, probably in Galilee. They knew each other. Andrew knew Jesus. And so they were going out to hear John just like anybody would. And then they saw Jesus go down to be baptized, and all of a sudden heaven opened up, and there's a voice that comes out that was revealed to certain people. This is my son. I take delight in him. Everybody's like, whoa, that was weird. That doesn't normally happen. Been to Lake Monroe a lot of times. That hasn't really taken place. He says, this is what happened. And then he says, and we heard the voice when it came from heaven while we were on him on the holy mountain. That was the transfiguration when Jesus revealed himself as the son of God, as equal to the Trinity, and they freaked out. And it said, so we have the prophetic, look at this, we have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp shining in a dismal place until the dawn, day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Can I just tell you that this is a beautiful thing? Because here's the deal, you have to make a decision on who you think has the prophetic word for your life. And you make that decision every day. You do. Every day you have to make decisions on who am I going to listen to today? How do I determine who's right and who's wrong and who I listen to and don't listen to? And there is an entire world, are you ready for this? Who has masterfully figured out how to manipulate us. Social media is perfect at it. See, you can't fake it to Google. They know what you look like. They know what you look at. You might fake it to other people, but they know how much time you spend shopping. They know how much time you spend just doing nothing and surfing. So does Facebook. Facebook knows every little detail. And you know what's crazy? We don't care anymore. Some people go, well, that's scary. They're, you know, they're all watching us. I'm like, well, God's been doing it for a long time and nobody's freaked out about it, so I guess they're just treating you know, the world like they treat God. God's keeping a record of wrongs. He, he sees what goes on. Facebook and Google are just taking the place of God. And we don't have a problem with it. Why? Because there's so much benefit. It's so easy just to click and get. Have it delivered to my door. I don't have to raise it. I don't have to do nothing. Beautiful. I mean, this week there was a story or last week that came out that, that Alexa, you know, and the echoes that are in your house They've been recording you. That they have at headquarters a button they push to record what's going on in your home without you being able to control it. 
And it came out. And there wasn't much of an outcry. Oh, okay. Big whoop de doo dah Yeah, that's just the way the world is. You see, when Peter's writing, he's saying, and I love this, we have a prophetic word that's strongly confirmed. It's not trying to manipulate you. And you, we, give our lives. We're dying daily to get benefits around us without surrendering our lives to him. And he goes on, and I love this. He says, pay attention to it. Should we pay attention to Peter? Maybe Peter's a crazy guy. I mean, he was kind of nuts. He always spoke out at the wrong times. You know, he's kind of a loud mouth. And then he pulled a sword out, chopped a guy's ear off, and Jesus slapped it back on the side of his head. That's going to happen. We remember that this week. And Like, Peter, I'm not sure I can trust this Peter dude. He denied Jesus three times. That happens later. I mean, I'm not sure Peter's a good, trustworthy source. I'm not sure I can really pay attention to Peter. He's got issues. Well, we all have issues. So who do we listen to? We listen to the one who doesn't have issues. Who is the only human being to never have issues? Jesus. Jesus. That's it. And then we listen to hear what people have to say to see if they're right on what Jesus said the issues were. Remember that Paul had to leave the mission field twice to go argue with Peter, who wrote this book? Paul left the mission field twice because Peter was telling people or allowing people to tell Gentiles that they needed to get circumcised and become Jewish to be saved. Paul said, no, no, we are not going to do that. And twice he had to come back and fight for what was true that Jesus said and what was true about the grace of God, not works. And Paul writes about that when you read his letters, specifically Romans and Galatians. He lays that out. And it's this beautiful picture of us seeing people. And you know what Peter did when he was confronted by Paul? He submitted himself. He submitted himself to the church, to the other elders, and he submitted himself to Paul, and he admitted he was wrong. And you can read about it in the book of Acts. See, that's someone that we get a prophetic word from, and then they strongly confirm it by their saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I'll change, I'll listen to others. That's someone who's got a real prophetic word, but most of the prophets we like to listen to are more like Donald Trump. Because he gets good zingers and he gets people and he, you know, he just dominates. Oh, he must be a prophet from God. No, he's just a man. He's a leader that we need to recognize that he leads and God put him in charge. So we have to deal with that just like we did with the last leader and the next leader and the one that, like, we have to pray for him. We have to respect the authorities, Peter says in his first letter. He goes on and I love this. And he says, look at this. It's a lamp shining in a dismal place. You know what most false prophets don't tell you? You're in a dismal place. Most false prophets will promise you you don't have to be in a dismal place. Peter says uh, you're in a dismal place. He's writing to believers. You live in a dismal place. Do you want to know why God didn't use the sun calendar, but he used the lunar calendar? It's not because God doesn't know how to do math, okay? The sun calendar is more accurate. It, it, it's easier to follow. It's, that's what we set our clocks by. You realize that, right? Like, the sun calendar does, is better in math than the lunar. The lunar calendar is harder to get the math right. But isn't that God? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you look for light in the darkness. That's how you're going to keep your calendar. 
Look at the stars. Look at the moon. I'm going to make you look for the light in the darkness. And you want to know? That's actually nice. Because when you're living in tents like his people were, especially in the Exodus, and you have lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and snakes and everything around you, listen, it's comforting at night to know that you can look up and see God shining on you because you're going to get ready to go to sleep and you don't know if your kids are going to wake up tomorrow because they may be bitten or eaten in the middle of the night. You're in a tent. Lions get through tents really easy. <laughs> it's not hard for them. Okay? And that's why he gave them a lunar calendar so they could have hope in the darkness. That's why. And then he says, someday the morning star is going to rise. Not the sun that the Egyptians worship. Not that sun, a new sun, a new star, a new light, which is what we read about in Revelation. And Peter's saying, this is the knowledge you need to have. This is the knowledge about our Savior that you better pay attention to because there are a lot of false teachers out there that won't tell you this stuff. Because they're trying to manipulate you to get something from you and not encourage you to find hope in laying down your life. To say it's just not worth it. No, it is worth it. It's worth it. He goes on, he says, first of all, you should know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, man spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter doesn't say, this is what I believe, this is what I feel like, this is how I interpret. He says, no, this is how, what God says is true. The obvious question, though, when you read this is, okay, how can we strongly confirm that a, that a prophecy, that this letter we're reading is actually from God? Well, men spoke from God and they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Does Peter speak the words of Scripture, absolutely. He goes back to the Old Testament. He recalls God's Word. He reminds them constantly. Does Peter then, moved by the Holy Spirit, give up his life, his livelihood, and surrender to serve Peter? Yep, he does. We can trust Peter because Peter's not like, you all be surrendering, and by the way, I'm a pope. Peter never said he was a pope, by the way. It's a misinterpretation. Peter was not a pope. If you read the original scripture that they get that from, it's been twisted. It's been manipulated. Why? Because the church got corrupted, just like your family gets corrupted. So don't, you know, throw a rock and say, well, that's why I'm never coming to church again. Your family's just as messed up as God's is. You go back home. You're going to go home today, open the door and sit on the couch, right? Not sit there and go, I can't come in this house. We're too messed up in here. I can't lay down in the bed. No, we throw ourselves at God and say, God, I, I surrender. And so look at people's lives. Look at how they ended up. Look at how things went down for them. Can I just be honest with you? For almost everyone in Scripture, their lives ended in a mess. Moses dies and is buried by God. We don't even know where. God just made a mountain fall on him. I don't know. Maybe Jesus came down and actually physically buried him in love and compassion. We don't know. Because of one sin. And you're like, well, that's kind of harsh. Moses is like, I'm going to die anyway. I know where I'm going to be. I'm okay. This isn't the ultimate promised land. Like, it doesn't end well for us. And Jesus told us that. He said, if you believe in me, they're going to treat you like me. The question is, why aren't we being treated like Jesus? 
You want to know why you're not being treated like Jesus? Because you won't be like him. You won't speak a prophetic word on his behalf. You won't tell people the truth about the, where they're at in life and how things need to change. And as a result, you won't be treated like, you're going to try to keep the peace. Just speak the prophecies that are comfortable. Don't speak the hard ones. Does that mean we need to try to get people? No. It means we love people enough to tell them the truth, which is what Peter is doing here. You see, everyone claims this or that. Everyone claims a knowledge that comes from somewhere. The question is, where's your knowledge coming from? Is it coming from Scripture? Or is it coming from what you feel like God should be like? This is what I feel like Jesus would say. This is what I feel like Jesus would do. This is what I feel like. I don't care. How did he do it? What did he do? What, how did he speak to people? Like when you look, everybody likes to grab the passages of Scripture that are real pretty about Jesus, but there are some where he was just brutal to people. Brutal. I've shared this story before, but can you imagine the rich young ruler who Jesus said, sell everything, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And Jesus didn't tell everyone to do that, by the way. He didn't tell Zacchaeus, the tax collector, to do that. Zacchaeus probably had more than rich, maybe as much as the rich young ruler. Can you imagine the rich young ruler coming back to Peter at this time, showing up and saying, hey, I'm ready to follow you guys now. I'm ready to be a part of this thing. I'm ready to, to really to, to go with you. Do you think Peter's going to be like, oh, sure, come in, sit down, have fun. This is our new brother in Christ. Or is Peter probably going to go, um, didn't my Lord strongly confirm and give a prophetic word to you to sell everything and follow me? Have you done that yet? Uh, no, well, I, can't, I can't say you're a believer then. Well, but they don't have to. He didn't have to. Yeah, I know. I don't know why Jesus gave you that word. I don't know why he spoke that. But you got to do it. You got to surrender yourself. I can't just ignore what Jesus told you to do. I can say I don't know why he told you to do it, but I can't ignore what he said to do. He goes on and he says this. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. That's a promise. There will be false teachers among you. Not there might be, not if we're not good enough. You will always have false teachers among you. Among you doesn't mean that they're out there in the world. It doesn't mean you're going to meet a false teacher at Walmart. It means they're in the church. You will have them among you. Just like in your family, you have them among you, right? You got those family members in your family, like, yeah, they're in our family. People ask you about them, right? Well, is this your brother? Do you know this person? Yeah, that's my brother. Yeah, huh? I know him. Yeah, that's my cousin. Yep, yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah, we're praying for him, <laughs> praying for him. That's what Peter says. He goes on, he says, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Bought them. They were paid for it with a price. And he says, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow. Many, not some, not a little. Many will follow the wide path that they give you. Their unrestrained way and the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. They will exploit you in their greed. There it is. They're going to exploit you in their greed with deceptive words. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep. God sees it. He knows what's going on. And it says they're going to take advantage of you by saying unrestrained way. You don't have to do that. God wouldn't want you to do that. That's too judgment. Don't do that. And then it says they're going to say, they're going to exploit you in their greed. They're going to find out how to extort from you. And he says it's going to be pronounced. You see, we love to point the finger at others, but can I just ask you? Do you believe that your destruction was announced long ago? Because if you don't, you're probably a false prophet. 
God announced to me my destruction in October of my freshman year in 1993. And I bowed a knee and I said, God, I'm done. Destroy me. Destroy this flesh. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't live and just have you as a part of my life. I need to surrender. I need to die to myself for you. And I said, God, I'm yours. And I, and I bowed a knee to him and said, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not doing this so you can fix my life, so that you can make things better. I don't know what to do other than to bow a knee. I'm done with the greed. I'm done with knowledge for me. And I want knowledge of you. And, in, and I cried out and God sent someone to tell me about who he was. And I surrendered my life. See, false prophets will tell you you don't have to die when we know our Savior did. He goes on, he says, they'll exploit you. The question you have to ask is, where does the knowledge about Jesus end up? Jesus knew perfectly about himself, and where did the knowledge about who he was end up for him? Where did he end up? Well, let's read about that really quickly. I mean, this is Palm Sunday. Let's read the passage of Scripture in John that talks about, we read the Zechariah passage, right, that Jason gave us, which fits perfectly with what we're going to read right here. Jesus has lived his entire life. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. He did the ultimate miracle. Lazarus was in the tomb three days. He brought him back. And now people, are you ready for this? Now people are believing in Jesus because they believe the stories and the miracles. And they're all about like, we want the miracles. We, oh, if you can do this for us. They're thinking about that Zechariah passage and they're thinking he's gonna come in. He's gonna overthrow the Romans. He's gonna to make the temple great again. The arrows are gonna come across that we just sang. The arrows are gonna come he's going to rise up and if we believe in him oh we're going to conquer with him that was Peter with the sword the night before by the way Peter with the sword the night before was just like these people it says this the large crowd of Jews learned he was there they came not only because of Jesus but also to see Lazarus so they're not believing just in Jesus they want to see the show I'm looking for a church that puts on a good show and that's what I want to see he goes on and he says, the one he had raised from the dead, therefore the chief priest decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. They weren't believing in Jesus because of Jesus' prophetic word. They were believing in Jesus because he could just raise people from the dead. Well, you'd want to believe in a guy like that too, wouldn't you? Why? Because you know you're going to die. I want to believe in a guy that can raise people from the dead because then I don't have to die, Right? And that's exactly where they're at, which is why Jesus is getting ready to give the teaching he's going to give. And he turns it upside down, and it's why they turned on him, and the crowds were saying, crucify him, just a few days later. He looks, and he says, and look at this, the chief priests want to kill Lazarus. Can you imagine being Lazarus? Like, that, Lazarus is one of the funniest stories to me in the Bible. It really is. Like, you die, you're in Abraham's bosom, right? Like, paradise. You're like, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, you hear this, come back. You're like, no, I don't want to come back. Do you, you know Martha, right? She drives me nuts. She drove you nuts. You had to rebuke her once. I don't want to go back to her. I mean, Lazarus has been probably somewhat embalmed. Like, I'm not going back to that body. This is such a better experience. I don't not go. He calls him back. He goes back. And then he wakes up in a tomb, wrapped in clothes. How many of you are claustrophobic, right? Lazarus is wrapped tight in a tomb. Lazarus, come out. Like, you can't. 
They have to unwrap him, the scripture says. Hey, can you, can you imagine being the person that Jesus is like, hey, go unwrap him. I'm, no, I'm not unwrapping him. No, he's been in there three days. He stinks. I mean, he's, he's gross by now. There may be oozing stuff out of him. I am not doing that. This is the weirdest thing. And you know, go unwrap it. And he comes out and Lazarus, and can you imagine Lazarus? I'm sure that there was a moment of like, what am I doing here? This is terrible. I thought I was done with this. And then Jesus is like, I raised you. And he sees the face of Jesus. And it was probably one of those moments, you are who you say you are. I mean, it's probably this elation. And now they're going to kill him again. Like, seriously, you brought me back for this? Can I just tell you, that's the story of the gospel, that God saves us to remind us that we're dying again. And we die every day for others. We're going to have to lay down our life. It's, that's, that's the picture of Lazarus. He goes on, he says, The next day when the large crowd had come to the festival, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna in, in, uh, in the Hebrew, okay, means Lord, save us. It's kind of a word that says, save us and give us success. It's kind of the Hebrew equivalent. Lord, save us and give us success. They're claiming Zechariah. They're, they're laying their robes down as he's coming in on a colt that we read, and they understand the picture. They understand you're the Zechariah guy. We're going to lay our coats down. We're going to, oh, the branches, we're waving you, we're fanning you. You're coming into Jerusalem. Oh, this is what we've been waiting for, and it's on the Passover when you're supposed to come. I mean, this was just everybody expecting the prophetic word of Jesus would be, I'm coming to kick some booty. I'm going to overthrow the Romans. I'm going to kick out the priests and the prophets. And I'm going to kick out the Pharisees. And buddy, I'm, I'm here now. Here we go. And they are all about that. They took palm branches. Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one, the king of Israel. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, Fear no more, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, in other words, resurrected and went into heaven later, they remembered. Remember what Peter said? He was trying to get us to what? Remember these things. He remembered that these things had been written about Jesus and that they had done these things to him. When, in other words, when Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit comes, it's like a light switch goes off. And they're like... That's what the whole Testament's about. Oh, he did this. That makes sense. Oh, he did this. All of a sudden, all the remembrance comes, and they put the pieces together, and they're like, we want to give our lives too. We're going to live like Jesus. We're going to give our lives, give our occupation. We're giving it all up, just like he did it. It all clicked. And then it says, meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They're arguing with each other because they're like, we can't get rid of this guy. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Woo-hoo! Here we go. Zechariah, the arrows are coming. Mount Zion, daughter Zion, here we go. It's going to be awesome. He's going to call his disciples. They're going to pull out swords. They've got him hidden like a Trojan horse. They're coming in. It's going to be awesome. They're going to slaughter everyone. All these people are going to be the Passover lambs, and we're going to show them something. I mean, he's saying the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and you could hear a pin drop. Because what he's saying, are you ready for this? He's saying, what's the prophetic word you believe? Because I'm getting ready to expose it. 
Do you believe that the prophetic word is, it's all going to come to you and it's all about you? Or do you really believe the rest of the prophetic word that there needs to be a Passover lamb that dies once for all? That there needs to be a savior, a perfect sacrifice. Oh no, they ignored that because they already had their prophetic expectation. Even though it was strongly confirmed in scripture what was going to happen. So Jesus said, I assure you, and you can just hear him, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. If I don't die, then no one's going to be saved. And my father doesn't, we don't want to be by ourselves. We want to call people to be sons and daughters. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is not Zechariah. This, this isn't Zechariah. This, we're, we're supposed to let, we're not, die? What? You're coming in to not, to not die. Like we're going we're gonna to live forever. You're going to reign. Like we're, we're done, right? Like If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. This is troubling. This is hard. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. I should say Hosanna. I should say Hosanna. Hosanna, save me. But that's why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice, here it is, what Peter's talking about, the voices they heard. Then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I got this. I'm with you, son. We're going to do this together. We're going to die together. Wow. This is the story that we are supposed to believe in. This is the prophetic word that God's given us. And he says, this is what it will look like. You'll give your life. And he may not save you from this hour. You're, the purpose is that you're here to die. That's what we're supposed to do. Let me show you something real quick and we're almost done. God established his math, his calendar, and gave a prophetic word for how things were supposed to work. This is how he laid things out. He first instituted a Sabbath every week. We're supposed to take a day to rest, to remember that it's not about us, that we need to trust him regardless of whether we have the resources or not. We need to rest in him fully. That's the Sabbath. And we need to give an example of that by the way we live our lives, not constantly, ah, but... The ability to rest and plan to rest. And the first of the festivals ever, feasts, was Passover. That was Exodus. It was the first festival they ever celebrated. When they came out of Egypt, he said, sacrifice the lamb. And then you're going to flee from Egypt and you're going to be in such a hurry, you don't have any yeast. So you don't have time to let the bread rise. So that was going to be the feast of unleavened bread. Remember Peter saying, remember these things. There's a point to these prophetic words that God has given. And he says, so, so that's why there's this feast of unleavened bread where, where, and, and yeast, by the way, represents sin in the Old Testament. So you're leaving your sin behind and you're moving to trust God that he will provide when, when your sin can't grow. That's, that's the, what they're doing. That's what they're doing at this moment. Do you remember what it said? It said Jesus was going into town when? At the Passover during the feast of unleavened bread. 
It's this moment that he's coming into. And then, then the next thing is first fruits. That's resurrection day. That's Easter. They would celebrate first fruits after they cleaned out their sin. They knew God's sacrifice. They would deal with their sin. Then they would celebrate resurrection. That God forgives us. He reestablishes us. This is what they've been doing for thousands of years. And Jesus is now in town saying, it's about me. This is me. And then it's, after that, they would count the Omar for 49 days. For 50 days, they would count the Omar from the second day of Passover. They would count the Omar. And do you know what Pentecost is? It's the day that God gave in the wilderness to his people the prophetic word. The Ten Commandments. They would count, waiting for the prophetic word of God, which is what the disciples were doing after Jesus' resurrection, before he came, before he sent the Holy Spirit. They were counting the day when God would send his word. And then in the fall, we have trumpets, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths. Can I just tell you something really quick as we wrap up? Here's a prophetic word for you this morning. Jesus is all of these things. The trumpet is the new year. It's the calling to people to repent, to get ready. The day of atonement is Yom Kippur, that Jesus was our ultimate atonement. He died. And then the Feast of Booths, which is Sukkot, is where you went out and they built temples. They, or they built tabernacles, tents, and they put a hole in the roof to, to think of God coming and fellowshipping with them. Can I just tell you, let me give you a prophetic word. Do you know where we're living right now? You see, Jesus said that where I am, there you will be also. In that passage, he said, where I am, there my servant will also be, he says. Where's Jesus right now? You ever thought about that? What's he doing? Is he like playing a harp on a cloud? Strumming along? Like, oh yeah, me and the Father. hanging. Is that what he's doing? Not according to scripture. You know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is trumpeting the glory of his Father. He is every day, Hebrews says, interceding and giving atonement to us waiting for the feasts of Booth when he will call all of his people to be back with him. Do you want to know where we're living right now? We're living in the Feast of Weeks. We've been called to be his harvesters. We've, if you know the Passover, if you've invited Christ to come in to, to die for you, if you understand that he cleans out the sin, if you understand that he is the resurrection of your life, he gives you new life, and you're counting your days, you're numbering your days because you understand where this is headed, then you get ready to say the feast of week, God's going to fill me up. Why? He's going to give you his prophetic word, the Bible. He's going to give you a word through the Holy Spirit to speak to others. For what purpose? To bring in the harvest so when the trumpet sounds, people are ready. And they know that he is their atonement when they stand before him. And so we are waiting for the day, the scriptures say, and Jesus says, when he will finally come out, the trumpet will blow, he is going to atone for sin, and those who aren't atoned for will be cast into outer darkness, and he will celebrate tabernacles with us as the temple and the city and the gates are open forever. Forever. Constant fellowship. No fear. And we will go, you know what we'll do? We'll remember that he is the slain lamb. And we'll always think of Passover. We'll think that he is our fruit. Oh, we'll count. We'll love being in heaven. That's what we're going to do. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He is empowering us to be his prophetic word on this earth to others through the way we speak and the way we live our lives. Because there is a trumpet that's going to sound. 
Let me ask you, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the trumpet to sound? Because there's going to come a day when it's going to sound and it's over. And when that happens, the day of atonement's coming, and after that, there's, it's done. There's a final judgment, a final atonement. And after that, there's going to be a glorious entry for those who know him, and for those who don't, they will never be able to be in his presence. You see, this is what Peter is saying the knowledge of. You need to have the knowledge of this stuff because it's important. Because if you know how this works, you won't get twisted up. Easter won't be about bunnies and eggs and what you can get from Jesus. Easter will be recognizing what he did for you, where you're headed, and what he's going to do for eternity. And it will motivate you to live differently. You see the difference? See, that's the prophetic word strongly confirmed from thousands of years of Scripture. See, they thought they had a strongly confirmed prophetic word from one passage of Scripture in Zechariah, but they forgot to read the rest of Scripture. Because Zechariah is going to be confirmed. The difference is there's just a pause there. Later in this letter, Peter says, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. When you read through Zechariah, if you'll just pause for a moment and say, oh, we've been 2,000 years there. That hasn't come yet. That's the prophetic word. So let me ask you, when Jesus says these words to us, are you ready to lay down your life? Have you said, I'm done? I'm dying to self? I'm finished? I understand I have to die. There's, there's no other way out. Something, I have to give my life, and I'm grateful that I don't have to give my life eternally. I just need to surrender it here. And you, you, you tell me and promise me that I'll have eternal life with you forever. And it's a one-time decision. It's a decision where we cross the line in our heart and we say, God, my heart is now yours. Do with it as you please. And you know if you've made that decision or not. I don't know if you have. You don't know if I have. But you know. And if you have, can I just tell you, you should be stoked about this time of year. <laughs> you, you should be getting your heart cleaned out and communion's coming and you should be like in a place where you're like, wow, I got this guy that reminds me, this savior that showed me, he's gonna come back to life and I have hope in that. Like I can give my life again tomorrow and the next day and trust him when it doesn't seem like it's working out. See, that's the story. That's the prophetic word we preach and the false prophets will twist that. This is what God says to us. So I want you to think, are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to say, you know what? I know that I've come for this hour, for this hour right now. This is my hour. It's my time to surrender. I'm done. And I'm ready to go. And God will look at you and say, I have glorified my name. And I'm going to do it through you again.